0: Hello and welcome to HuffPost's new weekly podcast, Am
1: I Making You Uncomfortable? Presented by me, Brogan Driscoll, and me, Rachel Moss. This podcast is a frank, honest conversation about women's bodies, health and private lives. We cover underreported issues and tackle the topics you're too squeamish to talk to your mates about. This week we'll be talking about work and identity, asking,
0: who am I without my job? We'll also be talking to entrepreneur and beauty salon owner, Amma Kwashi, who experienced job loss and has since pivoted from unemployment to running her own successful business.
1: And we cross the Atlantic to speak with career coach Emily Liu, a career happiness coach and founder of Cultivite, helping you make the most out of your work life experience.
0: So I knew that I would return to work soon after having my kids. For me, work was the route out of a disadvantaged childhood and was what would allow me to give my children a more secure start in life than I had. But what I discovered was that working for a corporate while raising two young kids was, for me at least, incompatible. And then I went freelance, which was the best career decision I ever made. Today, I feel more secure than some of my employed counterparts, but as a freelancer, I feel I'm always in a position to generate income or to take early action when I can see that the market is changing. Plus, it means that I can be myself when working with my clients. They choose to work with me because of who I am, not the company that I work for.
2: I think being laid off was not as much of a big deal as I expected it to be, in part because sometime last year I made this conscious decision to decouple who I am with what I do, much to the surprise of my friends and family I remember this point in my life when my dad used to go around telling my people, oh, my daughter is so-and-so, you know, he would always narrate my designation. And I remember telling him that, you know, dad, that's
0: what I do. It's not who I am. If you want to join the conversation on social media, use the hashtag AIMYU.
1: So the central question we're asking this week, who am I without my job? We know will be quite a raw question for a lot of people listening at the moment. We know that some of you listening might be facing redundancies. Some of you might be on furlough and wondering what will happen with your work when the furlough scheme ends. And Some of you also might be self-employed or freelancers and your work may have disappeared at the start of the pandemic or maybe you belong to an industry like the arts that has completely changed because of the pandemic so for a lot of people right now that question of who am I without my job is very very real and very raw and we wanted to acknowledge that right at the start of the episode but I also think it's just interesting to ask yourself that even if you do have a steady job because work can be so all-consuming sometimes I know I'm definitely guilty of you know letting it take over a little bit too much sometimes so I think it is really good to like step back wherever you're at and just say, if this was gone tomorrow, who would I be? And would I be OK? What do you think, Brogan? Does work form a big part of your identity or identities in general, do you reckon? Yeah, I think work has
0: always been quite a central part of my identity. Well, at least since I've been of working age, mm. I wonder if it's tied up in being kind of raised in an environment where it's it's all kind of focused around success and achievement and therefore I put a lot of emphasis on my professional ability you know like the job that I've chosen and how well I'm doing it but I think when I was younger how I performed at school was also a central part of my identity like the main thing so I feel like it's kind of a hangover of that one of the first questions that we ask when we meet someone new is. What do you do? And that's just kind of such a bizarre thing. There's so much more to somebody than their job. Before I was a journalist, I used to work in a charity when I first left uni. And the difference between how people reacted to me then, when I said I worked for a charity, it was a big health charity, like doing, raising loads, tons of money, helping lots of people, like a very kind of admirable career path. When I said I worked in a charity, people would say, oh, that's nice. It's cute. Yeah, that's cute. Whereas now that I say I work for Half Post, I'm a journalist, people are like, oh, that's really cool. But yeah, it's so clear that people judge you based on your your occupation, which is kind of crazy. I wonder why that is.
1: Yeah, totally. I'm also quite jealous of people who have an identity that's not wrapped up in their jobs, actually, because I think we should say not everyone is like us. Some people are completely free from that. One of my family friends has always had quite a healthy relationship with work in that she's like, my job pays the bills. I'm happy, mm. but it's not my life. But she has never defined herself by job. She doesn't really talk about her job whenever we meet up. And her Instagram bio says like, sister, dog, mum loves cooking or something ridiculous like that. My mm. Instagram bio says, I'm a journalist. And a lot of my mm. friends will say, you know, actor or whatever they do as jobs you know school teacher a lot of us have in our social media bios our jobs and this one particular family friend doesn't and I think why have I got mine why do people need why Mm. is that the first thing that I think of so it's quite refreshing when you meet someone who has broken out of that societal expectation Mm. that's a really interesting point because I also have all of my basically my CV
0: written in my bio (laughs) or as much as I can fit in I wonder if it's in industries like ours, social media is like a shop window to who Mm. we are and our work is very, you mentioned actors as well. I'm sure they're also, maybe it's kind of social media and, and the professional and the personal is kind of bled into one another. Something also to say when we're talking about careers and career choices and career making a career change is that there's a huge privilege in choosing what what career path you want to go down and also being able to change it later in life rather than having to take a job out of necessity or because you need to earn money straight after leaving school to support family or other dependents so while there are a lot of people facing uncertainty right now changing career or changing work is not an option for everybody so that's something to bear in mind obviously when we're talking and when we're talking to our guests.
1: Yeah yeah definitely a great inspiration in this area actually is our former colleague Paul Bell, who if you've not heard about her she is a journalist who's now an author and her husband Rob died by suicide about five years ago and she's been on this really amazing journey since where she's really reassessed her life from it, and she wrote a book called In Search of Silence that was all about figuring things out after that period of time and part of the book is about shaking off the fact that work is part of her identity. She left HuffPost, she decided you know this kind of nine to five or eight to six <laughs> job <laughs> isn't really for her anymore and she's doing her own thing and she's happier for it and I think reading those stories every now and then is a great reminder that you're so much more than work you can enjoy it and you can feel fulfilled by it but it doesn't have to be the be all and end all and um, I'm really, really excited to speak to our guests about that, actually, particularly Emma, because I know she's been on a similar journey herself in changing everything she did and what she stood for. And hearing those stories kind of reminds you that you can do it if you want to. When I lived in Spain, the
0: issue of work just never came up in conversation. In fact, you could be friends with somebody for years and never really know what they do for a job. Um, you know, you talk about other things, life, politics, books, cultural stuff, but... Um, you just never probed into it. And when a Spanish friend of mine moved to the UK, they were so shocked that, um, you know, it's the first question that you ask. And that felt really intrusive to them. It felt really um, personal and a bit judgy. Um, and I'd never thought about it up until then, but I can really see why. I found being followed really difficult, if I'm honest. I know some people loved it um but for me i really didn't know who i was um which is embarrassing when you know we always tout those mantras like i am more than my job or there's more to life than work but for me when my job was taken away from me without my choice i really didn't know what to do i struggled to fill my days i struggled to find a purpose and that's really embarrassing to say Now we're joined by Amma Kwashi, who is the owner of London-based nail salon, Amma, and a celebrity manicurist working on shoots with the likes of Solange Knowles, Tilda Swinton, Edward Enninful, and working with brands such as Celine and Dior Homme, to name a few. Amma started her career in TV and then moved to advertising, where she was made redundant in 2013. That whole difficult roller coaster inspired her to pursue her dream job of nails. Welcome to the podcast. Hi. first of all we wanted to say congrats uh we hear that the salon's open and ready for business again which must be a huge relief for you Huge relief.
2: I actually was in Wales for a job. So I wasn't there when we reopened. It was quite manic. And obviously I was working somewhere that had either no reception and Wi-Fi (laughs) or Wi-Fi and no reception. So it was amazing. We were only given one working day's notice to reopen. So while the majority of things we had done, it did make Friday and then Saturday before I left for Wales on Sunday
1: manic. So... When did you go from, you were working in advertising and then you became a salon owner. Can you kind of talk us through that in-between step? How did you go about changing careers so massively and setting up your own salon? So I
2: was made redundant from my advertising job. I then, I remember telling my parents, okay, I'm doing it now. I, I remember telling my parents i have been made redundant. <laughs> and my dad said, so you're going to look for another job? And I was like, no, this is the opportunity I've been waiting for. I've built enough of a portfolio that I can start getting booked now. And it probably took us about a year to set up the salon from inception. So my business partner is my school friend. We went to secondary school together.
1: Oh, that's nice. Up
2: the road from Brixton, which is why we wanted the first salon to be in Brixton. She had just opened a bar and I, it was just before Christmas. I was having a drink in her bar. And I'd always wanted to open a salon, but I'd always seen it being in an emerging market. My dad's from Ghana. I'd always seen it maybe being in Ghana or somewhere else. I couldn't envision what it would be here. And then uh, Latoya, my business partner, said, I know you wanted to do in Ghana, but I have just set this place up. So I'd ha- I have some retail experience in terms of England. Why don't we do it together here? And then the, the idea just kind of fell together very naturally. like Because we kind of centered it on ourselves, not in like a narcissistic way, but on what we would want, I think then it was a bit more authentic maybe. And yeah, I think you just learn as you go. You learn about licensing. You learn about uses of buildings. You learn about, you teach yourself and the things that you can't teach yourself, you ask for help with. And I remember at the beginning of it, being a bit overwhelmed, but talking to another one of my best friends and she was like, you'll learn the process because you take the steps you need to take. And and it kind of is quite a natural progression. What was it about beauty that was so appealing to you and made you want to make that change? So I was still working in advertising, but was in the job previous to the job, that was my last job in advertising, if that makes sense. And I was really unhappy. My boss was horrible. The environment was horrible. It suddenly dawned on me that this was not something I wanted to put the years into going up the ladder on. And my friend was in a very similar space to I was. She came over one night, we were having a drink and we discussed just changing things up to make ourselves happier, bottom line. So she enrolled in a hair course, I enrolled in a nail course
0: and a jewelry design course because they were two things that I'd always loved. We hear people talk about finding their calling. Tell us your secrets. How did you know, like, this is my thing? how did you have confidence to be like that's that's my job yeah I mean I like humans
2: <laughs> I enjoy talking to people I enjoy the variant of people the, the vastness of people the random situations I find people hilarious like my favorite thing is people watching genuinely <laughs> like I can do it for hours so I love my job I love and I'll have moments where I'm painting and I haven't in a while and I'm just like I love it I love the kind of Meditation of actually painting and how I can concentrate on it. But then I love the connection to people and like just having random conversations and finding relatable things with someone that you never even thought was anything like you. Like those moments, I love. That's so nice. I mean, I think there's some people that definitely know what they want to do and they do it and they love it and they were completely right. I had that with media. That's what my degree was in. I'd done running as soon as I was able to in terms of age. I did it. I loved elements of it. Then I went into advertising and hated it. There is an element of something that you like, you're interested in doing it. If it works for you, then you usually end up finding other parts of it that you love even more and it grows and it grows. And then and if it's not for you, you know it's not for you. Or maybe it's not the right organization or maybe it's not the right example of it or maybe it's I think instinct is everything. Mm, yeah, absolutely. And you shouldn't ignore it, whether it's friendship, whether it's work, like a line that I always tell myself and like when, we, when I talk to friends and family is always listen to your instinct, listen to your inner voice and fear and instinct can sound similar, but it's not the same. And you need to learn to differentiate the two voices in your heads, basically.
1: What were some of the main challenges that you encountered during this period, like pivoting from doing your own thing, kind of ad hoc, to suddenly being an employer? I'm very conscious of the fact I've had a lot of shit bosses
2: and I didn't want to be one. We're We're not going to be perfect. We're not perfect humans, but I just want to be a good boss and obviously get good results. And I think being an employer or having people that are reliant on you for their wages, especially... In the current situation, I can't even tell you the stress it has been, to be honest. And up until the furlough was announced, myself and my business partner, I I don't think we could even talk about how stressed we were. We just didn't know what was going to happen. And when it was, I remember the afternoon it was announced, we had two clients having their feet down, a couple, and my laptop was on the desk and we were all watching it on loudspeaker. The music was turned off in the salon and they announced it and we both cried. We both
0: cried in front of clients and our staff because we just didn't know what was going to happen. I guess it would be great to get from you like any advice for people about how you cope with those like situations like what are you like do you have any things that you do to like let off steam? because it feels like there's obviously the responsibility of, of, of having people on your payroll and all these things like there's a lot going on do you have how do you deal with that stuff do you know what I probably how I probably deal with it is I probably talk to my
2: friends a lot about it because while they may not be in your exact situation they may shed a perspective or a light on something that you have never thought of
1: do you think that you are defined by your career as a person is your career a core part of AMA I think it is but I don't live and die for it yeah
2: and I love my salon it's like actually one of my favorite places to be genuinely and I have moments where it's highly stressful and I can't wait to leave and whatever but there are moments when I'll be there and I'll be like I actually love this space And I love how it feels and I love when the clients come in and we're laughing and joking and, you know, like they don't even know each other and everyone's just chatting about whatever is the topic of the moment. And I think the kind of person I am, I mean, maybe that's not true. I was about to say whatever I did, I think I would be like this, but I wasn't like this when I was in media. So that's actually a lie.
1: It's really great to hear that work is important to you, but isn't the be all and end all anymore. When did that change? Was the redundancy part of it?
2: I don't think the redundancy was part of it simply because my full-time job at that point I didn't want to progress too far into it I'd already made the decision that I wanted to go into nails full-time what it did teach me is that the importance of transferable skills so while working in advertising to then working in tv production to then doing nails on a fashion shoot might not seem like there's any kind of connecting force between them I knew how to do both sides of things I could go on a set and identify just different aspects, the dynamics of a situation, because I'd had that experience from working in advertising and working in TV. So I would say that if you have been made redundant recently, do not undervalue the things you have learned in your first career, is my point.
1: Do you have any advice for listeners who are perhaps considering a career change or moving into their own business and becoming self-employed? What's maybe the top one or two things you would tell them?
2: I would say... Talk to people. Don't be afraid to hit up someone who is already doing what you want to do and ask them for advice and ask them for steps. They might tell you to piss off, they might reject you. Ask more people. It's scary, don't get me wrong, but it's necessary sometimes and change is necessary. And it's funny because when I just graduated university and I was very much at a point where I was like, what type of media am I going to go into? Am I going to go and be a freelancer who does contract work in TV? Oh, am I going to be like a kind of more office-based person in TV? And I went down the office route. I worked at ITV, although I wanted to be on the production side of things. I managed to find jobs that wasn't on a contract basis because that scared the crap out of me. So
0: now it's ironic that now I am actually a freelancer. You know, the world side hustle does get kind of bandied around a bit. Do you think that that was kind of an insurance, perhaps, in your future that doing that on the side? Side hustles are a great way of
2: dipping your toe into something to see how you feel about it with with less commitment, you still have your full time job. And you can gauge if it's something you actually want to do, you can see if financially it's viable, you can build your contacts, your portfolio, your skill set, you can build your speed, whatever it is across the board. I've got friends that work full time, but have cake businesses on the side, or all sorts. And I think building it, on the side slowly is actually maybe very key if I'm being honest.
1: So we have one last question for you and it is something that we ask every guest on this podcast and that is what makes you uncomfortable?
2: Okay, a quiet, it's not a serious one but and it's something that I think I'm becoming more aware of as I get older. I'm really uncomfortable with wasted opportunities. Oh, I like that. Please tell us more. Just a situation that I feel like maybe I didn't utilise as much as I should have or I didn't say something thing that I wish I'd said later on. And this is both career and personal. I feel like pride is like a really wasted emotion and it's a, an emotion that people put a lot of importance on and it doesn't do anything for anyone. And then on the, like another level, another thing that makes me uncomfortable is ice on a concrete surface. <laughs> Niche, uh, especially uh, this time of year. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> A wet concrete stair or something, whether it's ice or water makes mm. me feel sick. <laughs> Is that because you've once slipped or something, or? I no, I didn't. But I'm always scared of it, unless like it happened when I was really little. But I'm always like, whoa.
3: I
1: love how varied the answers (laughs) are for this question. It's brilliant. That one was great. Thank you so much for joining us. It has been absolutely great to hear your story. Thanks for having me. I'm a pediatric
0: doctor who's always been really driven and really passionate about my job. When I was growing up, I had lots of dreams of volunteering abroad and starting my own business and doing lots of different things. COVID has reminded me of these dreams and the importance of having an identity outside of work. Many people in the medical field find that their life is their work and this is a really unhealthy outlook. And over the last few weeks, I've consciously taken some time to think about how I can balance all the different areas of my life. And I'm so glad that I've done this because I, Feel like I've found my mojo again. I'm feeling really happy within the work that I'm doing professionally, but I have so many ideas of things that I can do outside of work that are going to now become a part of my identity too.
1: I'm a working
2: mum in a senior role overseeing creative services in a design studio. I became a stay-at-home mum overnight when I was furloughed a couple of weeks into lockdown. I'm really passionate about my job and I get a huge amount of fulfilment from working and have found the lack of focus that comes with lockdown terribly hard. I absolutely adore my kids, but being put into lockdown with a toddler and a seven year old, who I was supposed to educate to, has been very hard. Prior to Covid, I felt really guilty for being a working parent. Now I realise I'm a better parent when I'm working and that makes me a better person too. I'm not the best parent when I feel lost and not myself, which is how I feel without my work.
1: From Kwashi from Amma Salon in London, and now we're joined by Emily Liu, a career happiness coach and founder of Cultivate, who helps ambitious job seekers position themselves as dream candidates. She's a former recruiter and headhunter for Fortune 500 companies like Google, Amazon, Uber, and Facebook. So Emily, thank you so much for joining us.
3: I'm so excited to be here. Thank you for having me.
1: So tell us how you became a career coach and also how do you work with clients in a typical session?
3: Well, contrary to popular belief, I did not have my whole career figured out. Um, (laughs) I feel a lot of us just kind of fall into our careers, so to speak. Really, I was completely lost in my 20s, just kind of taking any jobs that came along. And one of them happened to be recruiting, and that actually was a perfect fit. But after doing that for about six years, I realized as a recruiter, we're not really allowed to give honest feedback and constructive feedback Uh as to why. People can't progress, right?
1: Didn't know that.
3: Yes. A lot of job seekers want that, but they have to understand as a recruiter, we're compensated for our time and we're also compensated on finding the best match, not necessarily helping somebody identify, you know, this is what you should have said instead, or this is where the disconnect was. And so as I started to do some research and started talking to people in the industry, I realized that career coaching really was the... that allowed you to give the honest constructive feedback really help people understand what it is that they want to do and help them get there we obviously right now
0: we're we're living through uh, quite a crazy time in terms of the job market many people are losing their jobs and facing redundancy when people are struggling what do you say to them when they're kind of feeling that you know, their entire future is is in the balance. What kind of advice would you give to those people?
3: It really, in my opinion, starts with getting comfortable with understanding it's okay to not have a title. It's okay to have that status of unemployment. Sometimes I feel that we are driven more by pain than we are by pleasure. So that actually serves a purpose, right? We don't want to feel like shameful or like be in self-doubt for so long. But In the immediate term, I think it's really important to have that healing process, especially if we feel that we were the cause of our current situation. And I see this a lot with job seekers. A lot of job seekers feel like, well, I must have done something wrong. It must have been me because I was the one laid off from the company. But we have to understand the economic climate. And there are some things that are just beyond our control. But I strongly believe that once we can understand and accept where we are, we can then find where do we want to be and really move into that with a lot more better energy um, and just get better results.
1: This period is particularly difficult for women and specifically women of color. Why is this?
3: Yeah, I think we all seen the studies, particularly around even name bias, right? When you look at two different resumes, maybe they have the same exact credentials, same exact background, just based on the name, one candidate can get higher calls. So I think, you know, for those people of color that are really facing this reality, it is unfortunately something that they will have to be malleable with, very similar to those that are making those industry changes. I think a lot of this is really just about adaptability. I really believe that if we can be flexible, we can start to adapt and find those opportunities that exist out there. And Possibly even seek out mentors who have already shown the way and as saying, "Hey, this is possible. Here's how I got here, and here's what you can do as well."
0: We're conscious as well that when we're talking about career changes, not everyone has the privilege of like a financial cushion, or you know, such as savings, or parents who can help out, or even a healthy redundancy package, or even any redundancy package at all, quite frankly. So. When you have no money, how do you start again?
3: What I would say is there is nothing wrong with taking a gap job or a bridge job. I know a lot of people might feel, you know, I have a degree, I'm too good for this job. But I what I want to say to those of you who are in that situation is it's really important to listen to your inner self versus your ego, because your ego is always going to try to protect you from other people's judgments. However, it's important to understand that there's nothing wrong with a bridge job. But I do want to emphasize it's important that you never let go of the long-term vision because so many people also start to feel complacent. The next thing they know, they blink and it's a year later. (laughs) So really just kind of having that short-term and that long-term plan in place is key.
1: So every week, no matter what topic we're talking about, we get listeners to um, share their experiences with us. So we've got some listeners who have shared testimonials about work and identity this week. So we were planning to just play one or two for you and see... What your thoughts are around them for many people work defines them and i've definitely felt like it defines me i always find it really awkward to answer the question
0: what do you do because i have to try and explain what i do so it's never straightforward and especially during lockdown work has changed for so many people and some people now feel uncomfortable answering the question what do you do because sadly they've been made unemployed or furloughed but by changing the question to what motivates you It gives the people the opportunity to tell you more about themselves in a positive way. And they're not solely defined by the job roles, but other aspects of their lives.
1: Your business is obviously career coaching. So you talk about careers a lot. But would you encourage people to also say what motivates you? What do you think about that testimonial?
3: I love that testimonial because that's exactly what I would say is important to lock down on. What is your why? What is your mission? What is your vision for yourself, regardless of your title? So what I find to be very empowering is to just make sure that you understand aside from the title, what is it that you bring to the table? How do you describe that in your role? So for example, as a director of sales, maybe instead of titling yourself as a director of sales, you realize at its core, I am the relationship builder, I'm the connector. I love helping people find the solutions to whatever technology problem they're having internally. And that is what you want to share moving forward. So again, you regardless of your employment status, still have something that ties you to the grander vision and the mission. So you want to share what it is that you do and describe again, that core component. And that leads to a far more interesting conversation. It also allows whoever is listening to really engage with you so that they can help you identify where you would be matched internally to the company. Because again, not everybody understands what these titles are, especially company to company. Uh,
1: For somebody who is perhaps job seeking but has absolutely no idea what to do next what would you say I know I've certainly been in that position before when you're out of a job but you don't know what job you actually want so what do you do
3: I feel like a lot of people go into panic mode such as I need to just put out as many feelers and applications as possible but I've talked to people who have shared the applied to over 300 jobs and gotten one or two interviews so It may feel productive, but really the best thing that you can do for yourself at this time is just really step backwards and start to identify, well, what do I want to do? Why am I interested in this path? What is it that I can bring to the table? And really start to map all of these things out before you even start to put it onto paper and come up with your strategy.
0: Being in lockdown and working from home since March has seriously made me reconsider my career path. While I feel lucky I still managed to keep a job, it also made me realize that after 10 years as a project manager, I felt stuck in a career that didn't make me happy. Lockdown has gave me the mental space and courage to start evaluating my passions and matching them with valid career choices. So I thought, we only have one life to live, so why be unhappy? I decided to quit, which I know is crazy, and take the leap to do a software engineering course. So I'm just hoping 2021 will bring positive change. Does that does anything said in that testimonial kind of sound familiar? Is that something that you're hearing from your clients?
3: Absolutely. And I think this goes back to just really understanding that we are multi-passionate, multi-dimensional people. We te- technically can do so many different things. So I have a lot of clients who come to me and ask me, what is that one career For me, the truth of the matter is, you can do so many things. I just really love this testimonial because it tells me that this person is very self assured and they don't have everything figured out. They're not predicting the future, it's not guaranteed, but they trust themselves enough to say, you know what? I'm unfulfilled. I'm really tapping into knowing that this isn't my long-term career path as a project manager. And it is scary to say goodbye to something that you've spent 10 years in really dedicating and focusing on to then pivot and completely redefine their careers. So what I would say for people who are not entirely sure about what it is that they want to do next. Again, it isn't necessarily what it is that you're doing. You can do so many different things. You can find that golden thread between all of the different jobs that you are interested in. You know, just map out all of these different titles that excite you. And really on the right-hand side, right, why they're exciting to you. What is that skill set that you're going to be utilizing? Or what about that career gets you really invigorated? And For anybody making a career transition, I always talk about how important it is to network because, you know, you are competing against other candidates that do have the skills and qualifications or the last matching title. So you really want to start building those connections. and talking to the people who are in those departments. These are your, going to be your internal advocates that then pass on your resume to the hiring manager or tell you about that opening before it's ever posted. And this is how so many candidates, by the way, get the jobs that they're unqualified for. <laughs> we all know those people that are like, how did they get there? Um, that is how they did it.
1: We, we're talking about identity and jobs today. So do you think that we place almost too much of our identity into our work? Is our self-worth too wrapped up in our employment? And how, how is that playing out during the pandemic? Is it is it perhaps making it a bit tougher for people?
3: Wow, that is a really interesting question. It's a and big
1: one. Yeah.
3: <laughs> what I would definitely say, again, because I know we spend about a third of our lives in our careers. It definitely plays a big factor of it. However, if we're always seeking that external validation, I don't think we're ever going to be fully content or satisfied. I always tell people that you have to start with the inner validation. So if right now you feel, I am only smart enough if I have the VP title, you know, that is always going to be this, chase that you're on and you're never going to feel fully satisfied and content until you truly believe deep down inside, regardless of my title, regardless of my status, regardless of my income level, I am smart enough, right? Um, And I find that when we can build that inner trust and that inner knowing and our inner worth, that is when everything else is projected on the external. Have you guys heard of like have, do, be versus be, do, have?
1: I have not. No.
3: So, so a lot of people fall into the have, do, be. So they'll say things like, when I have my dream job, then I'll do all of the things in my career, like I'll be able to run a leadership meeting. So it's really the have, do, be, whereas the opposite needs to be be, do, have. So we need to be a leader first. We need to step into that leadership. So then we start hosting these leadership meetings, and then we have that VP title or that title that we get. So the minute we can start stepping into that, that's when everything starts to shift externally for us.
1: God, I've never heard that before, but it makes so much sense. Do you think now during the pandemic is a good time for that shift? Is it the right time for people to have a bit of a reset?
3: I absolutely think that if you have extra time on your hands, I know for one, I do. It's definitely a really great time to get introspective. I really encourage people to do some super thinking, which is basically just carving out five to 10 minutes of alone time. It is crazy how few of us allow ourselves this time to just have independent thinking. And what I would say is, you know, even having like a piece of paper out with just one question that you want to ask yourself and giving yourself that dedicated five to 10 minutes of just sitting there and brain dumping all of your stream of conscious and your thoughts on paper. It's, amazing how many insights you can get and how many answers you have within you when you just sit still enough to give yourself the space and the opportunity to listen
0: we've just got one last question for you which we put to all of our podcast guests uh, and that is what makes you uncomfortable
3: I would say public speaking, uh, but really just anything being in the spotlight. And so even saying yes to a podcast like this, my initial reaction when I got the email request was, no, I'm going to pass up on this. But I was like, no, 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 no. I need to stop listening to that little voice because I'll never be ready if I don't say yes. So here I am (laughs) doing what's uncomfortable on what makes you uncomfortable.
0: (laughs) (laughs) well we're so glad that you came because you've given us so much amazing insight and I'm sure that there'll be so many people listening who you know whatever their job situation right now will just be like furiously making notes like I have been I don't know if you've seen me doing that Um, (laughs) but it's just been really it's been really great so you should do
1: more podcasts
3: oh thank you so much
1: (laughs) this is great thank you Emily
3: thank you Rachel Brogan
1: So that was Emily Liu, and I thought she had some really brilliant, brilliant tips, actually. I loved how some of the career tips that she gave for people feeling a bit lost at the moment are fast things that you can do in five minutes. When she said just, you know, even just taking five or 10 minutes out for yourself can make a difference. And I think as well, that's so useful to highlight because we know that a lot of people haven't had that much time in the pandemic actually we're talking about how we've all got more time at the moment but for a lot of parents who are juggling job hunting with homeschooling they are frazzled we we hear from a lot of parents and we can't imagine how tough that would be so I think it's great that Emily's tips are kind of short and sweet and hopefully everyone can find something a little bit useful in there Mm -hmm. I love what she said about thinking about job hunting or career
0: change as like, it doesn't all have to be figured out right now. And you don't have to spend weeks thinking about it to figure it out. Like everything you do is like progress kind
1: of in the right direction or in a direction i also loved hearing ama's personal story earlier she is obviously so successful and so cool like i can't stress how cool her job is she does nails for like solange Knowles. what the hell that is amazing and yet even she was like my job isn't everything you know it's it's not it's not the be all and end all and i think that's in terms of identity and work that's such an empowering thing to hear and it reminds me of that um idea that people repeat quite often that no one on their deathbed says I wish I'd worked more that like, you just have to remember that like nobody on their deathbed says oh I wish I'd filled in that spreadsheet more or oh I wish I'd written that feature that's not the things that define us and the things that you think about during tough times at all Totally. I feel like you may have just said spreadsheet because you're talking to me and I love a spreadsheet.
0: <laughs> 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 I totally agree. I I I think that's a great lesson to hear or something that everyone can kind of strive towards. It's obviously not something that can be done overnight, but there are def- it's definitely given us food for thought. Um, another thing that I try and remember, but I probably forget quite often, uh, work to live rather than live to work. And it just like flips it a bit. So work is part of your life or work facilitates your life rather than is the be all and end all. Did would start this podcast saying, yeah, I think about work all the time. That's totally my identity, blah, blah, blah. And we're ending it like, totally zen. We'll see we, how long that we've grown. We've grown.
1: <laughs> that's it
0: this week from Am I Making You Uncomfortable?, please subscribe to our podcast and give us a five-star review. I'm Brogan Driscoll and you can find me at Brogan underscore
1: Driscoll. And I'm Rachel Moss and you can find me at Rachel Moss underscore. This podcast is produced by Crystal Genesis. Our assistant producer is Rachel Porter and our sound engineer is Hazel Hurst. You've just listened to Am I Making You Uncomfortable? Hashtag A-I-M-Y-U.